The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this uh, topic today is about Dharma and resurrection. So that's uh, part of a series that I'm doing here for uh, a month, uh, subbing here for your group, the topic of which is about Dharma and magic. So last week we talked about uh, Harry Potter, the Dharma of Harry Potter. So who is here for that one? Small amount, yes. Select Harry, Harry Potter group who collected for that one, I think. Uh, and there actually is a little resurrection going on in Harry Potter, those of you who saw, the, saw or read the last um, book slash movie of that. There's some piece of that, of a sort of dying and being uh, reborn again, coming back from the dead. And that's actually mostly what we think of when we uh, consider a resurrection, right? So a resurrection is about coming back to life from death, like dying and coming back to life. And resurrection, of course, figures very uh, prominently in uh, many spiritual traditions, for example, in the Christian tradition. That's a central piece of the uh, teachings uh, around Jesus' life and death and the resurrection right? and the meaning of that. So what is up with this uh, topic of resurrection in the Dharma? So what's the teachings around this? Uh, what do you have to look forward to or not look forward to in terms of uh, renewed life? So you know, this is a big question in many um, religions and philosophical traditions as well. What happens when you die? Many people come to some spiritual uh, practice or something with some question around this. What's, what's going to happen when I die? So the teachings of the Buddha, the, the focus is actually on what happens when you live. So the practice of mindfulness, of this heartfulness, even what we were doing here just now, uh, I feel is very much of helping us to understand that question. Like, what does, it matter, what does it mean to be alive? So once you understand what it means to be alive, then you can understand better what it means to not be alive. Uh, that is, to be dead. And I said, you know, the, the mindful uh, are alive, those without mindfulness are as if already dead. So you could even reflect back just in the last, you know, half hour period of time when we were uh, sitting together. There might have been periods when you felt very present and connected to your body and uh, knowing what was going on in your experience. And then there may have been times when it was just like, whoosh, gone lost in thought for some amount of time or just uh, daydreaming or something, or who knows, kind of drifting off into sleep, something, right? But then a moment came, came again, perhaps even just with the ringing of the bell, that usually does it, right? Uh, when you're back, right? Oh, here I am, okay. Yeah. So what happens in that time in between? Right? Like, where is that? What, ha- what happens? So in, in some ways you could consider even that as the sort of coming back from, coming back to life in those moments. And our whole life, in some ways, is a sequence of this, of being present, being not present, being present, being not present, like this. Right? Seeing, not seeing. And the Dharma teachings around resurrection of the body, the relationship to the body and the uh, teachings of Buddha is pretty down-to-earth, like very cut and dry. Right? So the uh, body is not looked upon in any kind of romantic way. So in fact, the reflections around the body are ones like, uh, you know, my body is subject to aging. I have not gone beyond aging. My body is subject to sickness, to illness. I have not gone beyond illness. This body is subject to death. 
I have not gone beyond death. Right? So nothing romantic about that, right? It's like, uh, you know, you take birth in a human body and even as sophisticated as we are and, uh, you know, as uh, many different things as we do, we're basically in the physical form uh, animals. You know, we're, we have this kind of animal mammal life that uh, takes place which involves eating food and drinking liquids and then defecating and urinating and getting tired and needing to sleep and hair growing out of different parts of us and you know trying to keep that in order and uh, you know uh, needing to to wash ourselves very often or else we start to smell bad and uh, you know, all kinds of things like that. So the body is just is regarded as just, you know, very cut and dry, like seeing it for what it is, which is actually an animal form. And, you know, it's easier for us to regard other animals in this way. So you see like a dog or, you know, raccoon or, you know, something like that. And, uh, you know, it's less, maybe, maybe with dogs, some people have some sort of mythologizing around them. But, you know, it's like, uh, non-glamorous animals, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh yeah, they're just doing their animal thing and they uh, mate and they get hungry and, you know, they get hurt and they bleed and, you know, different things like that, right? So in relationship to the body, the teachings of the Dharma, you know, it's, it's pretty basic and there's not a lot of uh, thus uh, encouragement to regard your body as some uh, thing that you can keep around forever, right? And it's important for us to take care of the body, to give good nutrition, to uh, be uh, kind to yourself, to exercise, etc., etc. But it's not with an eye towards the body being your vehicle for eternity, right? Like when the body goes into the ground, uh, it too will decay after you die, right? And um, that actually happens to everyone. Uh, you know, so some people might stave that out temporarily with their cryogenic chambers, etc., right? But, uh, but basically, anyone dies, no matter how good-looking, no matter how rich, no matter how famous, once you go in the ground, you know, the process of nature continues, decay of the body and going back to the earth. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it just is the truth of the way things are. And that really is uh, you know, one of my um, main understandings about the teachings of the Dharma is it's understanding the way things actually are. You're taking a, a really honest look at how things are in truth, not how we want them to be, not how they show them on TV, uh, not how they are in storybooks, uh, not how they are in our imagination, but actually how things are. And then in understanding that and in living more and more in harmony with that, we're able to live life of less suffering. We're able to actually see into what is actually true about ourselves, about others, about our existence, about reality, uh, about who we are, about what leads to happiness, about what leads to suffering, and about what ultimately we can rest on. And one of the answers to what you can ultimately rest on is uh, not the body. So not the body. Now we learn this in little ways over and over again, right? but it's also good to be honest with yourself about what is your relationship to the body. So, you know, think about from the time that you're very small and, um, you know, all of us were uh, kids at some point uh, in smaller bodies, right? And then, uh, you know, whatever else happened in your life, we had enough nutrition to get to this stage, right, of uh, adulthood. 
physically at least, right? Uh, and um, there's been so many changes along the way. So in some ways, you know, it's this idea of like different lives. You've lived, lived so many different lives, even in this time. You know, so you had your toddler life, you had your baby life, you had your toddler life. Um, I was walking around the neighborhood um, a little bit before the uh, coming here for this talk and past the um, Sequoia High School, right? And there was a sign on one of the islands, like, you know, Sequoia High School students are not to congregate in this park between 8 and 2 p.m., right? You know, they're trying to, like, keep them in school or something, right? So I was remembering, like, oh, yeah, and I saw some of them hanging around and said, oh, the high school life, right? There's the high school life there. And then, uh, you know, then whatever after that life, and then, you know, maybe you take a certain job and you take birth in a certain way in that identity, right? And then that fades away. And then uh, maybe you have a partner, uh, maybe you don't. Actually, I think relationships are interesting because I think in each of those relationships you like take birth in this new way, right? So like, the new birth in this, and then that dies, right? Or you become a parent. That's also a new birth, a new role that dies, right? Move into a different stage of your life. So there's some continuity uh, in all of that, and yet there is this uh, continued uh, rebirth, sort of restarting of a new stage of something. In order to move on to the, the new thing, you actually have to let go of the old thing. And sometimes that's easy for us, and we're like, good riddance to the old thing, I'm ready to move on. And sometimes we struggle with it, too. So similarly with the body. Uh, so there may have been times in your life when you had a good relationship to the body, when you felt positively about the body. And you thought, oh yeah, this is great. I feel very strong, I feel very healthy. And it's at those times that if this idea of like immortality or you know, uh, resurrection or, you know, continued life uh, occurs, it seems like a good idea. So usually this idea of, uh, you know, coming back and being, you know, the the body continuing on forever doesn't occur when you're, for example, uh, in the dentist chair, right? You don't think like, oh, eternal life, that sounds good, you know, like eternal root canal or something like that, right? You know, Um, but that's a part of it too, right? So inevitably, you know, as I was saying, inevitably, like you have teeth and, Teeth are made of enamel, and they wear down in different ways. Yeah. I recently had some uh, rude awakening around this because uh, I went to the dentist, and they pointed out that like my tooth teeth have started to like shift around in different directions in my mouth. And um, I actually suffered through um, one of the the painful uh, births I had was like adolescent with braces, you know, uh, like around maybe thirteen or so, like eighth grade a birth that I do not relish uh, taking again in this life or any life in the future. Uh, so I thought like, oh, I thought I'd done that. You know, I thought I'd finished with that. But, um, you know, apparently impermanence is still <laughs> active with the, the teeth, etc. And, you know, I was supposed to wear a retainer for the rest of my life. But at that time of uh, orthodontistry, they didn't know that. So they didn't actually like tell you to keep doing that forever. So, you know, here we are, right? So... So this relationship to the, to the body, you know, and, and if you think about it like in this, this eternal, I think, you know, you can hear me talking about this, like it's so, it's so far from me now to think like, oh yeah, please let this body continue on forever. Like please after death, let this body uh, be reborn, you know, let me continue on in some way. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm maybe not doing it justice in some way because I know a lot of people have that feeling and belief. So if you do, then like, please challenge me, ask questions, you know, whatever, because it's there a lot in our culture and religion, etc. Right. So the, the 
Buddhist teaching actually challenges us to pay attention then thus to our identification with the body. So what is our relationship to our body? And we often have this idea that like there's a me and there's this me uh, that either is the body or there's a me that lives inside the body. You know, there's some sort of like mysterious like consciousness-like thing sort of inside that then looking down and like that, right? So the, the, one of the, the challenges in the practice is for us to actually locate that. You like pay attention and see if you can locate that. And locate that means that uh, if either I am the body I own, or I own the body in some way, then surely like I would have control over that in some way. So surely I would be able to uh, make that be the way that I wanted it to be. And that would include uh, being able to make it not change in ways that were unpleasing to me. Uh, and there's a certain amount of agency that you have, you know, certainly some of the time. So here I'm like, you know, waving my hands around. It seems like I want to do that. Right? I'm trying to make a point, etc. So, uh, but I can't do other things too. Um, and there are things that I used to be able to do that I can't do now. So I, uh, I recently started to um, play basketball again. And um, also in a past life, I was like a big uh, athlete, like very... Uh, focused on that and got a lot of joy in that and so on and really enjoyed it. And now uh, in my, you know, middle, uh, middle life period here, like sort of picking and choosing, kind of coming back to it. So someone invited me to play basketball at this pickup basketball game in the gym. So I was excited about it. It's like, I know I have those basketball shoes somewhere. And, you know, I pulled them out. And here's a sign about how long it's been since I played that when I tried to put them on, the shoe actually disintegrated. Uh, <laughs> In my hand, like the heel actually, you know, ripped off the base of the shoe. So I was like, oh yeah, right. Impermanence again, right? It's actually, it's been quite some time. So that gave me a warning about how I would actually be able to play, you know, <laughs> once I actually found some shoes to actually get into the basketball game, right? Um, but it's like, well, what is my relationship to the body in that way? So different parts of the body, they change, they shift, you know, it's, it's challenging. And here's where, where the practice is really helpful. Like it's really helpful to practice noticing so what is our relationship to the body? And it's helpful to practice this now when you have your faculties about you to be able to do that. Right? Like it's really helpful to do that. This is partly why it's practice. So you know, if you're able to you know, show up here and sit here like, you know, relatively fine for you know, half an hour or something like that, then uh, you, know, you have good conditions in your life to be able to do that right now. Those conditions are not always there. So at different times you might fall ill, for example or you might have a lot of pain, or you might not have the um, ability to come here, and so on, right? Uh, so this practice actually helps carry us uh, through those difficult times, too. And I've seen that in myself, uh, in times when I've had a sudden injury or something suddenly difficult happens, and uh, the practice supports me. Like having practiced, seeing what's true, having practiced a relationship to experience and to life is uh, incredibly helpful. So I am subject to aging. Aging is unavoidable. I am subject to illness. Illness is unavoidable. I am subject to death. Death is unavoidable. But now one other meaning of resurrection could be that uh, if you die, there is new life. Right? So this is actually one of the, the teachings that it comes through in Christianity in a certain way. Uh, and sometimes it's taken literally and sometimes metaphorically. But I think it is actually this death uh, and the continued letting go and allowing whatever it is new to come through, which is one way in which resurrection can be seen in these teachings. So 
this is true in actually each moment uh, of our existence. So even as we sit here and we pay attention to our life, it's this constant stream of sights, sounds, tastes, smells, touches, and mental images. And as long as we're able to be there with that flow, as long as there, the presence is able to be there, let it go, let it go, let it go, right? then we're in the flow of that. Once we start to try to hold on to some of those things, attach, right? grasp onto them, or lean back, lean towards things in the past, reach out for the uh, illusory future, then we start to suffer. Then we're like out of that flow, right? There's some problem there. So it's actually in being able to, to let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. So basically like die, 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 you know, and then be reborn, reborn, reborn. So in each moment actually, it's like new, it's new, it's this, it's this, it's this. Right? So tr- trying to come at life as uh, freshly as possible in some way, right? So trying to be as present as possible with what's actually really happening now not my idea of what's happening, not my memory of what's happening, but what is actually happening right now. So incredibly useful, for example, in relationship with people. So a lot of times we come into a conversation with someone and uh, we're not able to actually see who they are. We're not actually really able to hear what they're saying to us or where they are or what they're uh, trying to um, express to us because we have this idea already about who they are. You know, like we've already decided, like, this is this person, they're kind of like this, um, they're always like this. So we're kind of seeing them through that screen, right? And not able to see them uh, new, fresh. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't, of course, apply wisdom, apply knowledge, apply understanding, right? But knowing that, okay, so this is something from the past, this is some understanding about this, and, okay, let's see what's presenting now, right? So blending those two. So the, the encouragement then is actually to um, die now to the things that we usually think are uh, ourselves. So let go now of those things. And then you actually can enjoy. You can have a different relationship to those things. You can have a different relationship to your body. You can have a different relationship to your uh, objects and possessions. You can have actually a different relationship to um, life. So understanding that all things are impermanent and thus, nothing is actually under our uh, permanent control. Uh, so even the things that seem to be under our control, uh, you know, we're basically just in some uh, convenient temporary relationship to them, right? Understanding that. So for example, you might have, you know, uh, parked your car or bicycle outside, right? Which you consider like my car, my bicycle. Uh, and uh, then there's usually some assumption that like, I will go back to that place and that will be there, right? And I hope that's true for all of you. Uh, but sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes it's not because even though, you know, we have a certain relationship to that, that is like our car, our bicycle, right? It also is not completely under our control all the time, right? And even when it is, so I actually have had my car for a um, very long time, for I think um, 16, 17 years now, but the car is like starting to uh, get rusty and stuff, right? It's starting to like uh, get dinged up in different places. Starting to, it's actually very dinged up, but you know, it's, it's starting to become more noticeable to me that it's dinged up maybe, you know? Uh, and you know, I could have body work done and this and that, but like, you know, the thing is aging too, 
right? Just as my body is aging and my basketball shoes <laughs> aged and disintegrated, <laughs> right? Uh, the car also is aging. So yeah, so in some sense, like I like own that, you know, I have a title and all this, right? Um, but also it's like, okay, that's just describing in some way that's convenient for regular conversation, my relationship to that car. But it's not totally under my control. Like I can't make it stop uh, changing, rusting, whatever, you know. It too has its own sort of natural process that's going through, even mechanical objects, right? And so even more so like this chassis, <laughs> you know, this chassis here, right? Uh, which then, you know, you have different scars that tell different stories. And, th- and there's something beautiful about it too. I mean, as I want to say there's both the part that's like the cut and dry, like, yeah, the body decays and smells and grows in these different ways. But also there's something beautiful about the uniqueness of each uh, person and your body and the stories that the scars on your body tell and, uh, you know, what that says about you and your unique life, etc. So I think there's something also about appreciating that at the same time as not attaching to that too. So the attaching to that part also means that like, well, my scars and my stories are much more interesting than any of yours, right? <laughs> or something like that. Or anyone else I might meet, right? Um, so you, know, you have to kind of uh, check yourself on that and notice your relationship to your body, notice your relationship to other people's bodies as well. So in the, I'll bring it around to Harry Potter again, just to, you know, to keep the consistency in our series. Is uh, you know, so in the in the Harry Potter thing, there's this, this uh, epic battle between uh, you know Harry Potter and uh, Lord Voldemort, right? and Harry Potter is this um, sort of uh, wizard, you know, ostensibly the protagonist of this uh, story, and you see him growing up through these books and um, movies and all this stuff, and he becomes this wizard, and then this Voldemort is like this. Uh, uh, sort of the enemy or, you know, characterized as the um, sinister evil one. But actually the truth is that they each have sort of some little part of each other in themselves and they're actually connected, right? So it's not as clear as like this one's good and this one's evil. Like they're actually uh, deeply connected and intertwined. And then actually in the uh, final book, now I don't feel bad giving the spoiler because it's been out for a long time. And, and you, you might not even understand you know, it from <laughs> either what I'm about to say or even from reading the book or seeing the movie. But um, there's some piece of it that's like this epic battle that involves actually both of them uh, dying. And then Harry actually sort of uh, being reborn, actually sort of making a choice, being reborn again, sort of coming back in a different, uh, in a different way. And I think that is also the promise of uh, what we can learn through our practice. Uh, and in the teachings, there's um, this, this piece about liberation and, you know, you've heard about like Nibbana and uh, it's often described in these very uh, cryptic ways. And one of the descriptions is like the deathless. Yeah. So the deathless for uh, Nibbana. So it's like that which is not born and does not die. So because it's not born, it does not die, right? So both, both of those sides are gone. Uh, so this is also sort of the, the uh, kind of a conundrum to put to you. It's like, well, it's like, well, what does that mean, right? So we could talk about that a long time and say different words and stuff. But really it's part of that same uh, puzzle of like, what does it mean to live, right? It's like the other side of that puzzle. So what does it mean to live? So if you understand what it means to live, then... Uh, in seeing into that deeply in your experience, then you get a taste of what actually that means. Uh, like, what is, is it, if anything, is there that is deathless? And even in the language, like, there's no thing, so it's not a thing, you know, but uh, there's a no hyphen thingness that's deathless. <laughs> 
So on that cryptic note, <laughs> I'll stop and see if anyone has any uh, questions or uh, comments about Dharma and resurrection. Or reflections. Or what does that mean to you about resurrection? What's your, what's your relationship to that? You've got a mic coming over to you, yeah. Actually, I'm kind of lost on why you brought up Deathless. You're lost on why I brought up Deathless. Is, so that's a, a tr- translation of, uh, like, do you want me to actually explain to you why? Or that you're just making that comment? <laughs> no, uh, can you please explain? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, uh, I was using that as one English translation of uh, Nibbana or Nirvana. Have you heard of that? Like Nirvana, Nibbana, right? Um, so one of the, the translations of that, there are many, like, uh, uh, it's one of those words that are actually very difficult to translate or even to uh, speak about so much, but one of the translations is about the deathless. So some of it I think is about, you know, in our, you know, I may be a little bit more um, like practical about it. So in our, in our search, in our life, oftentimes there's some, uh, whether implicit or explicit, seeking of something that we can actually rest in. Like what can we actually take refuge in? What can we rest in? Like what is going to be reliable for us in our life, Right. And we do this in kind of mundane ways, like, oh, if I marry this person, they'll stay with me, or, uh, you know, if I move to this place, it'll be a good place, or if I take this job, you know, like we look for security in some way, if I make a certain amount of money, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? And we're constantly doing that in like small and big ways, I would say. Right? So the trouble is that in a world in which everything is always changing, like everything is actually changing, uh, there's no stability to be, there's no lasting stability to be found, right? in any of these things, right? Uh, or in uh, like the pursuit of them also, which oftentimes we think like, oh, it wasn't that thing. Like it wasn't that relationship that was the, you know, it, it was just that guy. Like I'll go for this one. And then, that, oh, it wasn't that one. It was that, you know, I'll find another one, right? As opposed to like, actually it's the pursuit of that, like the seeking permanent satisfaction in that, seeking some kind of like stability that you can hold on forever in some way, right? Uh, it's actually that pursuit that is the mistake. It's not actually necessarily like that object or person or thing, right? So in saying that, I'm not actually like uh, condemning marriage or permanent relationships or anything, because, but I think it's true that in any relationships that you have, the relationship changes as people grow, right? And the relationships that stay together are as people sort of grow, mature, their interests change, etc. They're able to grow together or support each other in their individual growth or whatever, right? Um, but it's not like, you know, if you marry someone when you're 18, like you're the same exact people when you're 68, right? Uh, unlikely, right? So you go through this journey together. So this thing about the deathless is, so what is it that you can, everything, everything, every experience, uh, anything is born, and anything that's born dies. So if, if there's anything that's born, it's going to die, and thus that is not a good place to seek permanent refuge. So then what is a place where you can actually seek refuge? So we'll only be in something that actually is not born and thus does not die. So hence, deathless. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Others? Yes. So like you used Harry Potter as an example, choosing, he made a choice apparently. Yeah. I didn't see the movie or read the last book. So um, he made a choice to 
to come back and have a different way. Can you speak to our role in reincarnation and whether we have a choice or not? Ah, okay. So, yeah, so there is some, like the focus of Buddhist teaching is not about reincarnation per se, but there is a talk about uh, this, that it's sort of like this cycle that continues on. And that actually is sort of the teachings in Hinduism as well as in Buddhism, that area of the world, is that um, when there is death, then there is some continuation of stream of consciousness in some way that will continue in this realm or in another realm. So uh, it could be in connection with a physical body that seems to be like a human body, animal body, etc., or it could be even in other realms that are um, more ephemeral, etc., right? Uh, so the question about, like, do you have choice about that? That's sort of your question about it. So like Harry Potter, does this one have choice? You know, I don't know, actually. Um, I mean, some of the teaching is that uh, a lot of that is the result of karma. So your actions uh, plant the seeds for uh, different things that will arise for you in the future, potentially arise, right? And among them, uh, at the moment of uh, taking birth, again, with physical slash non-physical form, uh, has to do with that level of birth, right? So in some ways, it seems like there's some, there's some influence that happens, but it, from my understanding, now this is all like hearsay, that it's only the most actually conscious and um, sort of highly developed that uh, would be able to sort of make conscious choice around that stuff. But now I'm completely talking like hearsay, and I don't have you know, direct experience to be able to, to pass it on. But it is, in fact, actually good incentive, further incentive, even if this might be true, <laughs> to actually practice uh, mindfulness as best you can, you know? Because, uh, I mean, actually even like in the moment of death, like, you know, the, the, the thing about like, oh, it's really good we have conditions now to practice uh, is true because then um, it's really helpful to be able to be clear uh, and be as present as possible and as equanimous as possible, like when you're uh, sick and then actually through the, the process of death even. You know, and it takes a really, uh, you know, it takes a lot to be able to do that. You know, like the average person is not going to be able to do that. Like that's a tough uh, challenge, you know. Uh, like sometimes it's hard to meditate on the bus, right? <laughs> so then, you know, you're going to be able to be present during, uh, you know, death. That's a, a tall order. Um, but like this is called practice because it's actually practice, you know. And each time you get to practice and each time that you like blow it and lose it and then you come back. And, and we're planting those seeds of uh mindfulness. And I've actually seen this, this very powerfully um, come back for myself in times of difficulty when it wasn't actually a time when I would be like, oh, now I must do this. Now I must be as present as possible. But just like that force of that practice coming back to uh, meet me and be present. And um, actually also many of you might um, know that uh, Eugene Cash, who's a teacher in uh, a tradition at San Francisco Insight, um, it was on the Buddhist Bicycle Pilgrimage, which is a sort of annual bicycle journey, turning the wheels to turn the wheels, they say, turning the wheel. Um, and unfortunately, he met with a very serious bike accident uh, on that and, um, you know, hurt his body and also hurt his uh, head. And he's, you know, recuperating and he's in the hospital and stuff. And, um, you know, from the accounts of uh, his, uh, his wife Pam, my friend, and also other people, like I can just hear his practice just coming through, you know, and he's not in a lucid, you know, place so much, but he can see that sense of 
presence and uh, also the kindness of heart, you know, uh, there. So it's good to practice now while you can, you know, because, uh, you know, or another friend of mine said that she had gone to um, a nursing home to visit her grandmother and she saw like all these really old people and at that point, you know, a lot of people didn't have like a lot of agency over the body, certainly, like, you know, even to, uh, you know, incontinence, like not able to... um, uh, control when to go to the bathroom and stuff like that so much, uh, but also mentally, like had less uh, control over the mental faculties and were kind of like, uh, like rambling on in some way or whatever. But she was saying that you could notice very clearly some people were sort of rambling on in a sort of pleasant, gentle way, and other people were like really angry, bitter, you know, something like that, right? So the quality of mind, that continuation of mind, uh, you know, what we cultivate now actually will continue on, even in this life of, you know, your rebirth in the nursing home, if we ever get that far, right? You know, it's like how you want to be in that rebirth. Like you want to be, uh, you know, bitter and cantankerous, or you know, would you like to be happy, <laughs> even when they don't have the jello you like? You know, right? It's like uh, so. Practice now; it's good to do. Right? So, thanks. Maybe it's a little different perspective, but my father died about a year and a half ago, and. He's still such a presence in my mind that I don't have any particular belief around, you know, whether he's having a continuing experience, but I'm certainly having a continuing experience of him. That's very much a product of his karma. You know, he's a very benign presence in my mind of having been loved, so there's certainly a way in which he's, you know, in a way, continues to live very much based on the karma of his... How he sure. lived when he was alive. Yeah, yeah, continuing to live in your mind and then also in your body, right? Because yeah. if he's, your, yeah. you know, through the biology right. and the DNA and everything, it's like that continuing right. in some way too. Right. Yeah. And, and we all do that all the time. So whether or not you, uh, you know, uh, die or not, you know, the, we all affect each other uh, all the time in some way and that sort of continues. And, um, and we do that in small ways every day, right? Uh, so I've, I've had the occasion uh, recently to have people um, get mad at me, uh, and uh, I've had people give me the finger a lot lately. <laughs> so I was driving down here on one on uh, one hundred and one, and uh, and there was you know it's pretty tight traffic, and then someone was trying to um, shift into my lane, and she didn't you know I think I must have been in a blind spot she didn't see, so she's so I honked at her right, and uh, I didn't lay it on, I just honked, and but she didn't like that, so she was like Ehh. you know, and then. Um, you know, and then she, you know, she felt so strong about that she wanted to like follow me to continue <laughs> the finger like that, and uh, it's like wow, you know, that that stayed with me for a little while. Like I just noticed, like oh yeah, what that feels like in my body, even though, you know, I mean, I moved away and stuff, but I didn't feel, um, uh, yeah, it didn't feel good in that way, right, to have that happen. It's not, I mean, it's not a huge big deal, it's like, but uh, uh, it has some effect, right? Or uh, uh, the other is actually I. I I do some work like consulting and so on, and um, I've been working at some meetings in which there's a uh, this company that, like delivers coffee and muffins and stuff, and they've been like consistently late for a number of times, like super late, like 45 minutes an hour late, or you know, you call them whatever. So finally, I decide it's time to actually complain to them. So I call them to complain, and then um, all in very wise speechish terms, you know, and then. Uh, and then I wrote them an email also to, you know, say, like, on this day, we, you said it would come this time, and it didn't, and so on, right? Uh, and um, and I, I, I was, like, complimentary. I was like, the food is really good when it comes, but, you know, it's difficult, et cetera. Uh, and then I got this, like, flaming email back from someone there, you know, just, like, 
you know, get over it, it's just food, you know, it's this, this stuff like that. Not good customer service at all, right? Uh, so, you know, that impact of that, right? So that also can contact the mind stream and has some uh, effect. So we affect each other like this all the time, for better or for worse, right? And then alternately, like uh, kindness, like someone shows you kindness in some way. So that also has happened to me over these past few days, you know, uh, and, and in some way that you're surprised about. And that also has a big effect on us as people too, right? So we kind of, we, we intermingle in this way all the time, right? And continue on, like whether alive or, or dead too. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's some of the, um, you know, the question about the, you know, can you choose the next birth and so on? Like, I think it's an interesting question. And um, there's some, uh, you know, schools that have like sort of more uh, intricate, teachings about that, like in Tibetan Buddhism, about, um, you know, different stages of bardo and this and that, and that, you know, someone who's a bodhisattva, who's a very high, highly realized being, actually can, you know, do some machination like that and so on. But the actuality of like this, this for most of us uh, who aren't as realized for how the way that the karma plays out uh, is that there, there's, it's also like a kind of complicated, but from what I understand, there's sort of like this, a certain kind of like strong karma that can come out, you know, based on sort of like habitual karma that you do. But then also there can be sort of like wild card karma <laughs> based on like one really positive or really negative thing that you've done that could be, the, you know, the strong one at that moment of rebirth. Um, so, you know, either way, like it's good to both cultivate uh, habitual karma that is actually um, positive, wholesome. So generosity, kindness, uh, you know, compassion, all this stuff, right? And also it's good not to do um, randomly bad things too. Even if you're like, well, mostly I'm cultivating this, but just, you know, one day I'll you know, give someone the finger on 101. Or, you know, it's like, oh, if that's the karma that comes up and you're more of a rebirth. You, know? <laughs> you might be reborn in 101 traffic for the rest of your life and that's just a, a hell realm in and of itself, right? So, with no carpool lane, so, you know. Others? Thoughts? Questions? I don't know if this makes sense, but in this idea of resurrection, maybe this is overthinking it too much, but in this process of letting go, is there an intention to let go? Or is it, or I'm new to meditation, is it you're just your breath that gets you there? Or what mm. is the process of letting go? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question, right? The pra- the process of letting go. So, uh, it might be helpful to, to think about it or talk about it in a specific instance, for example, right? So, um, like, what's an? Can you think of an example of something that has come up that is like, oh, I should let go of that, or I would like to let go of that, and you know? Uh, yeah, at work, uh, <laughs> others' uh, actions and my reactions to them, and not wanting to be in this, knowing what better behavior is yeah and to react with compassion but having this strong pull towards resentment or revenge right and um so uh it's similar to meditating for several years and noticing the same feeling suppose that 
anger or anxiety is what you notice every morning in meditation. It goes on for years. So even though your intention is there and you would like to get to a new state or not be angry at your coworkers, is it just your breath and staying present with it, or do you have your intention in mind? Hmm. And maybe someday in a hundred years later, you are there? <laughs> or how does that work? Yes, I think it's both. I mean, it, I think the, the intention to let go uh, is always helpful. So, for example, as opposed to the idea that um, revenge is a really good thing, and so this is great that I'm spending all this time plotting revenge or anger, right? <laughs> So, you know, because you could have that idea and then that would fuel it even more, right? Uh, like you'd spend even more time doing that. So even if those feelings are coming up, but you're like, you know, I know this is not the best thing for me or for the other person that I'm like stewing in this, but here I am. This is stewing, right? So that sense of the, the like when we sit in the practice of the mindfulness, like in the meditation practice, um, we're practicing just seeing what's coming up, right? So that's just trying to be as best we can with whatever it is that's there. And usually it's hard in the beginning or even later on to be with some things that you don't like to see. So it's like, oh, I don't want to be able to acknowledge like how angry I am about this or how much revenge comes up for me or that I'm jealous or something. So then in that practice, the practice, the first step is just to be able to know like what is really here, right? And so this is part, you know, related to this, like what is it like to be alive is recognizing the full spectrum of body sensations, emotions, thoughts, you know, the whole messy caboodle of it, you know, being able to see what that is just unflinchingly, or even if you're flinching, being able to see flinching unflinchingly, right? Just be able to see that, right? But then also part of the the path, the spiritual practice, is to see that like, oh yeah, there are some intentions and thoughts and that lead towards happiness and are actually good to cultivate along, and there are some that are not so good, Right? So then begins the practice. So then first it's like, oh, okay, anger, revenge. Okay, that would be in the not so good to cultivate. You know, that's not what I want to grow in my garden of my mind, heart, this one. So how do I let it go? So uh, you try different things, right? So you might try sort of, first of all, like stuffing it, like snuffing it, right? But that probably doesn't work so well. So that's like sort of trying to suppress it. And then sometimes people try, like, well, I'm going to just explode with it. Like, I'm going to just yell at someone, and then that'll, like, let it out, and then I'll be okay, right? So then you might try that, but then that also seems to, like, kind of encourage it along. So here, this middle path of it is being able to be present with it, so actually be able to feel it completely, but then in that moment of being able to feel and recognize it completely, then there's actually space for non-reactivity to it, for actually being able to see what it is, but then also being able to have some space to actually choose what you want to do with that, right? And the whole process of, of you know, letting go of that, so there is this, this promise of the ability to uproot these states, so, which usually looks at first like them at least diminishing in uh, frequency and uh, volume, right, before being completely uprooted, uh, but that it is possible actually to change that which arises in the mind stream. And it happen, can happen you know, s- sometimes gradually and then sometimes it seems like suddenly, right? So sometimes you don't notice for a while and then suddenly you're like, oh, actually, hmm, that hasn't come up for a while, right? Which in some ways is like how a lot of things in life happen. Like you, you're trying to learn something, you're trying to learn something, you're trying to learn something, and then suddenly one day you're like, oh, look, I guess I learned that, right? Oh, I can do that. <laughs> but it takes like sort of gradual, like that, you know? The, the, the letting go thing, like sometimes it can feel very active and sometimes it can feel more uh, sort of surrendering kind of thing. So I think in different circumstances, the way to work with it is different. 
So sometimes even letting go feels too um, active, and letting go seems like you're like tossing something out the window or something. Um, and that is often like some type of aversion of a pushing away of something, right? So it's actually not the pushing away kind of thing that's the letting go. The, letting, the, the true letting go would be able to, to see with wisdom, like this is not the way, and then actually from that wisdom, it happens automatically. So a metaphor for that is like, uh, you know, Buddha said, someone came to him and said, like, how do I get rid of this, like, this rage that I have? So sort of similar, the story that you, you know, you're relating. Um, although it was like a different time, so it was probably like you know, in a blacksmith shop or you know, something like right <laughs> in the, the market or something, or in the ox, ox uh, herding profession or something, right? Um, so he said, you know, if you actually really were able to pay attention to what it feels like, this actual revenge, hatred thing, then uh, you wouldn't actually have to ask me that because it, it's like picking up a, a burning iron ball to throw at someone else. So who does that burn first? It's like you. So if you actually feel that so strongly, then you wouldn't have to say like, oh, should I put it over here or should I put it here? Like, should I let go of the thumb first or the pinky first? Or, you know, what you, you know, you just be like, ah, you know. So, so actually being in touch with the suffering of it, the, the uh, pain of that too, uh, can be very helpful. So that's another level of tuning in more subtly to the truth of how things are, which is that a state like anger is actually very painful. Like it's a d- state of, of being in division, you know. Um, particularly like the flavor of anger that's sort of like a hatred anger, like a hatred revenge anger, like has that uh, flavor of like that sense of separation, that sense of um, contraction, etc. So it's actually pretty, you know, it gets more and more subtle to be able to notice that, but then as we notice that more and more, it becomes easier to let go of it, right? So kind of like re-attuning ourselves to uh, what actually is the way to happiness and what is the the way away from that. And in doing that on this, um, it's a very tactile, like direct level uh, in a way that you learn that like in your bones, you know, like you learn it in your bones so that, uh, you know, without any, any shadow of a doubt, like, okay, that's not the route to happiness. Like that's not a good thing. And then more and more automatically you'll be able to let go. Right. So along the way, there's a long stage in which, like, you know it's a good idea to let go, but it's hard to, <laughs> right? Which is where many of us are with something or another, right? It's like, oh, I know I, this is bad for me, but here it is, right? So then you just practice with compassion as best you can, right? In whatever way, and you can reflect on that. And in a, in a thing like that where there's some, like, recurring thing that happens, oftentimes it's like being with that, being with that anger, then feeling that, and seeing if there's something underneath of that. Sometimes there's, like, a fuel underneath of that, which with um, anger, sometimes it's like uh, actual self-righteousness, like I'm right and they're wrong, right? Or sometimes with anger, it actually is like a sadness and a vulnerability, you know, that you don't want to tap into. So then it's actually dropping into that level and being able to be present with that. So it can actually be with the sadness and vulnerability of not being in control in my work or of other people or of my world. Or can I actually be in touch with this pain of this self-righteousness of thinking like I'm actually better than this person or I know better or they shouldn't do this and actually drop into that and drop and drop and drop, right? So, does that make sense? Okay, yeah, great, thanks. So with that, I think we've come towards the end of our time here together. So we'll have another opportunity for uh, life and death in our practice. So we'll just sit for a few minutes together here.
I am subject to aging. I have not gone beyond aging. I am subject to illness. Illness is unavoidable. I am subject to death. I have not gone beyond death. So reflecting thus, we'll bring ourselves to actually being more alive in the moment. So knowing that things can change at any moment, things do change at every moment. But all of us are going to die. Only the time of death is uncertain. The manner of death is uncertain. But death itself is absolutely certain for all of us here. So this can cause great compassion to arise in our hearts, for ourselves, and for all beings. All of us in the same boat. So we share the blessings from our practice with everyone here and with all beings. May all beings be at peace. May all beings be happy. May all beings be strong and healthy. May all beings be free from suffering. So thank you for your attention and conversation about the Dharma. And uh, also much appreciation for your donations, which helped me to continue to do the teaching and to uh, put gas in my 17-year-old car and uh, <laughs> buy new basketball shoes, etc. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs>